Good afternoon. Welcome to episode five of Made for More, where we're looking at accelerating mobilization in the pandemic and beyond. Uh, we're exploring together how to mobilize God's people, God's way. And we're using the book of Ephesians as our roadmap. And we've been walking through a series of shifts. And this week is from Ephesians chapter four, the shift from more hierarchy to more missionaries. Uh, we're going to look at the original design that Jesus gave to the church to unleash five voices uh, to equip God's people so that they can be all that God designed them to be, activated as disciples and missionaries that leads to fresh expressions of church, filling cities, regions with the beauty, justice, and good news of Jesus. And this shift is profound. It has a, it's a, a force multiplier for all the other shifts. If we get this one right, it increases dramatically the power we can experience in the other shifts in this made for more framework. And today I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this. I'm like a kid at Christmas. Uh, and instead of the, the BB gun, I have a machete. But anyway, I'm excited because our guests today are Rich Robinson and Alan Hirsch. Come on, I've just, I'm gonna give him a round of applause. Uh, Alan and I have been friends for well over a decade. Uh, we met in this thing called Future Travelers, um, where Alan was basically doing inception in church leaders inside of mega churches at first. And uh, I had been a super fan of his work and was one of those people that when you get closer, um, you actually see more Jesus. And I was so impressed by his humility and he was kind enough to adopt me. And I've been kind of tagging around behind him for more than a decade. And Rich and I have known each other for a few years. And Rich is one of those guys that I feel like I'm, it's sort of like a brother who was separated from me at birth. And every time I'm with him, I leave a better man. And of course, my partner in crime, my best buddy, Brian. How you guys doing today? Awesome. Doing well. well we doing well. Hey, just, yeah. Let them know where you guys are actually at on the planet right now. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm in, in Melbourne, Australia. And I'm in Edinburgh, Scotland. Three different three different countries. Three yeah, different so what, what's the time where you guys are at? Well, it's about 6 a.m. in the morning. So, for me. And 7 p.m. <laughs> at night for me. So we've got every, every part of the day. breakfast, well. lunch, and dinner <laughs> between all of us. Yes. Between us. <laughs> Well, we're so grateful for you guys to take the time today. And uh, whenever we start, uh, we like to have a little fun. We, we, like, to, we like some Sounds tomfoolery. Good. So I got to ask each of you, are you a dog person or a cat person? Let's just go. I'm going to start. I'm a dog person. Have you guys ever heard this one? If you pet a dog, feed a dog, care for a dog, the dog looks at you and says, you must be God. If you pet a cat, feed a cat, care for a cat, a cat looks at you and says, I must be God. <laughs> so that is why I'm a dog person. All right. How, let's go around the circle. And I, I've got, we've got two dogs. We've got Atticus. He's a black lab. And we've got Maury. And she's kind of a mutt that we adopted. And then our oldest daughter just uh, got a puppy about six months ago. Her name is Junie, and she's kind of the sweetheart of the club right now. I'll show you a picture in a little bit. 
How about you? Who's up, Al? You dog person or a cat person? No, I'm definitely a dog person. Um, uh, and, you know, I just agree with the dogs about the cats, you know. So it's not that I'm anti-cat. It's just that the dogs don't like cats, therefore I don't. So I'm pretty much convinced of dogs. I grew up with a ton of dogs around me. and We had everything from Labradors to there was uh, uh, St. Saint Bernard, um, my grandfather had when he lived next door, uh, and we had pup, uh, you know smaller dogs, and we had lots of them. So I've always loved them. Yeah. Okay. What about right now? I've got one now called, it, you know, she's a brand new little thing called Murphy. Um, <laughs> and there's a picture of her somewhere uh, coming. Um, and uh, but yeah, uh, they. I've always felt that dogs are just like wow. They just got spontaneity you know like a dog on the beach is pure unadulterated joy yes you know so yeah right on. i don't like the dogs all right Brian. what about you i was a no pet parent until the will of the family uh crushed the will of the father and uh so i good. yielded good and uh, good and we got Dempsey and man, now I love him more than the rest of them. So yeah. Dempsey and I go for long walks on the beach in the morning. Actually, I'm in Kansas City, so there's no beach, but uh, sound of romantic. But I love Dempsey, man. He's my buddy now. I love Dempsey, too, man. All right, Rich, how about you? Well, I'm going to I'm going to break, break the trends. But to be honest, Brian, I was the same. I was a no pet parent. And then my daughter, middle daughter turned 13 in October. And so we got a cat. So that was our first pet. So I'm probably not at the stage, Brian, of loving her more than anyone else in the family. There's still that sort of infatuation of two teenagers and child going, is it a toy? Is it an animal? It's a bit of both. Do you know what I mean? But she's very, very cute. So she's little, gray, beautiful. But yes, it, it definitely is conditional love rather than unconditional love. Although, <laughs> as as in Enneagram 7, I probably have enough energy to, for a dog. I, I'm probably the family dog when it comes to energy levels and bouncing around. So I, you don't need a dog when you got me in the house. It's very true. All right. Very true. All right. I'm going to bring up a picture of Junie. We'll start there. And then I want to see some other photos. All right. Let's share. You guys, can you see it? Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So there's Jeannie. She's an American Eskimo. And the reason Maddie got an American Eskimo is because our first dog was an American Eskimo. And we got him about six months before Maddie was born. So she grew up with Winston. And that's that's Junie. All right. It's a good Who's picture. Yeah. Love good it. picture. All right. I'm going to get. Uh, so here's Rich's cat. Is he coming up go. all right? Yeah. Look at that. All that's right. My, that's, that's my life. That's a cute cat, isn't it? That's Come a on. Cute cat, man. Come See, on. You'll, you'll love her more than the kids before too long. Yeah. Let's absolutely. see. Here's here's Al's here's Al's puppy. <laughs> <laughs> Alan wins. <laughs> this Murphy. She's yeah, she's perfectly cute, isn't she? she really is she still is. that big? I mean, is she that little? Yeah, she's that little at the moment. She's wow. There's our Dempsey. There he is. Oh, beautiful. He's looking at some other dog in the <laughs> <laughs> into the distance. <laughs> or a rabbit. You never know. Somehow we got that picture. <laughs> well, well, Senior Phipps, let's go, man. Let's get into it. Let's talk about Ephesians 4, Apostolic Genius. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so we're talking about um, 
all things APES, but let's just back up and ask a more global question to begin. What has Jesus surprised you with the most during this COVID-19 season? We're almost a year. I was noticing as the calendar clicked from February to March last year, we were all in Orlando uh, at Exponential just as this thing was starting to break into the state. So it's been a year now. So, but what's been the biggest surprise for you in watching God's leadership uh, over the last year? Go for Al. Oh, well, okay. So it's been, a, I mean, for all of us, a really strange odd year. And, and um, we were living in New York City um, uh, at the time of it. So we went from, uh, from Exponential back to New York. And uh, we thought, uh, no, I think it's probably a good idea to go back to Australia, mainly to be with my folks and all. Uh, it's a prime reason at the time. But uh, on reflection, really, I think a, a good move. Um, it's been a lot safer here. But I mean, um, but yeah, we, we would have just been cooped up in a one bedroom apartment in, uh, for a whole year, which I'm really still crazy. That's, <laughs> I'm genuinely champing at the bit at the moment from New York to, you know, some, some semi rural part of Australia. It's kind of very weird. And um, yeah, so, but a big surprise for me. Um, Oh, just working out, my, you know, my, you know, how does this change for me? Uh, that's one thing. I'm deeply concerned about, the, you know, things in the world. You know, just what what it's exposed in us. Um, uh, and I think I'm not surprised at this piece uh, so much as um, become aware of it. That you know, we, 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 you know, the church as we know it. I mean, talk about church here is exceedingly fragile and over dependent on. You know, usually on weekend services. You know, we, we've so relied on that. So I often use this idea of the uh, the metaphor of the queen. Um, you know, if you want to learn how to play chess, you take your queen out first. That means you're going to have to learn to play with your other chess pieces, uh, learn what they do. Most people don't ever learn what they really can do, so they over rely on the queen. And I think we've had our queen taken out, and um, and we're having to learn what other aspects of church they are and what they can do. So I think it's forced us. I think it's a surprise to see, I think, some churches really um, learning um, other aspects of church. Yeah, that's been fun. Rich, what would you add there? Yeah, I mean, echoing in one sense, Alan, I think the surprise has been just how open the church is and just how closed the church is and almost these two extremes. So I think... Uh, it surprised me just how staid and narrow and and very strong the sort of grooves of Sunday and priest and building is and just the sort of if we can't do that are we even church so sort of I've been surprised just how deep those grooves are and in one sense you shouldn't be but they you are on the flip side though it's almost the sort of the best and the worst of the church because I've also just been surprised at how open and innovative uh, many of the leaders are. So just the the opportunities that Zoom and kind of electronic platforms give us. So we'll be training tonight with the Salvation Army in the UK. Tomorrow, Kenya, Uganda. Monday was Nepal, Bhutan, India. Just this global interconnected church of leaders who are wanting to spark and, and start movement in their context. So it's this bizarre mix of the two extremes of if we can't do Sunday in a building, are we even church way over the other side of just 
the invitation and opportunity to serve, love, encourage, coach incredible leaders from all around the globe that you just wouldn't wouldn't have the opportunity to if you had to get on a plane or organize an event or kind of work, work that out. So, yeah, just the sort of variance, the best and the worst has probably been the surprise. Be interesting to see over time how that rolls out, like five years from now, the people on either side, kind of what that's yep. going to look like. So, wow, thank you for answering that. Hey, both of you guys are considered leading voices when it comes to the activation of APEST, the apostolic, the prophetic, evangelistic shepherd, teacher, the fivefold voices that Ephesians 4 tells us are necessary for the equipping of God's people, for the works of service, for the, the body to come into maturity and fullness. And um, the work that you've created, both through your books and through the Movement Leader Collective, uh, for example, in the underground, um, we use all the training modules that you created uh, for each of the five voices. Um, every missionary, they, they start their journey with um, a calling discovery process. Um, and then we put together a customized coaching plan for them. And we always give them the module uh, that you designed. So rich. Um, but I'm curious, like back up the tape, you know, rewind it. How did this discovery happen in your life? You know, we're assuming for Al, the Holy Spirit overshadowed his mother in the womb and <laughs> revealed a past and he came out. <laughs> but I'm curious. I mean, you guys, this is uh, for both of you. This is really central to your life message and your calling. You know, what did that journey look like? And whoever wants to start can go first. But just tell us the story of your narrative when it comes to APEST. Go, Rich. Mm. Well, so for me, I I came to faith as a, a 19-year-old college student and saved into this community of Jesus-loving, sports-loving college students. And I now sort of hindsight is we're well, looking back it's a wonderful thing so i now recognize an alpha in the front room a missional community contact all, all of these things that just were, were normative then and it was just you read your bible in community you share your faith with your friends you you connect around the table this is what you do and so uh, that environment had fivefold both implicit and explicit so as i was formed in my sort of 20s part of our leadership development part of our discipleship program was understanding your own apest your own fivefold so my journey started with that sort of personal revelation of the, these are some of the dynamics in me this is how i reflect jesus naturally and also i think i i appreciate the fact that there was a there was a fivefold not a onefold perspective so it wasn't you are an apostle, therefore you are this and you shall forever be. There was this sense of Jesus being five. Some are stronger in you, some are weaker. So I knew my I was really relational, but my shepherding was low. And so as a 20-something-year-old, I wasn't allowed just to maximize the apostolic and the, the sort of entrepreneur and innovator and dynamic and forget people. So uh, through my 20s, it was it was one of the frames that shaped me as a disciple, one of the frames that shaped me as a leader. And, and then I think through my 30s, it began to be really embedded in my thinking in terms of coaching and community. So actually utilizing it as being able to see the thumbprint of Christ on an individual, 
mm-hmm. but also on a team or a community or a church. So it, it sort of broadened from just me, individual I, to we and us and kind of communal. So sort of coming into contact, like Al and I had known each other for a long, long time, but about about five, five and a half, six years ago, we were both speaking at a conference. We were both on in the afternoon. So we we skipped the morning sessions, pop, popped my kids, my three kids in the kids groups. And we just talked and laughed and drank coffee and, and just connected around lots of different things. But that was the point where Al was beginning to sharpen and take the, the 5Q manuscript. And so my wife as an editor and writer, me as a trainer and a coach, Al with this these thoughts that had really been normative for me for however many years, um, we sort of, it was just that convergent point of, oh, could we do this? And I think probably the final piece, and then I hand over to Al, is that fivefold and 5Q is one component of the MDNA. So if you think of sort of Google Maps, you've got 5Q, but you zone out and you get this MDNA picture. So Jesus is Lord at the center, discipleship, mm-hmm. disciple making, mission incarnation impulse, APES being one, 5Q being one, organic systems, liminality. And I think for Alan and I, what we were captured by was both the specific of the, the treasure that's held within APEST, but also the prize and the potential of creating a both a community, but also coaching around these five components of MDNA. So, yeah, it, I think the biggest journey for me, point on that journey has been what was implicit becoming explicit. I think the shift from its personal to its communal. Yes. And I give thanks that it was, I was communicated earlier that these are five marks of Christ on you as a disciple, not the one you are like Enneagram or Myers-Briggs or, or whatever. So that sense of this is Christ-centered rather than a personality test. I think at, at 22, 23, that's how I came into this journey. So 20 years later, to be able to share that with others, I think is significant for me personally on my journey. That's really, it's interesting as you, the way you framed your story. Um, I mentioned that for our missionaries in the Kansas City Underground, we have this personal discovery process and they take the APEST assessment so they know what their thumbprint is. But another piece of that is no missionary ever goes alone. So yes. either have a partner or a team and it gives them such a clear sense of, okay, who else do I need on my team? Yeah, definitely. You know, so if I'm, I'm a shepherd teacher or I'm very apostolic and prophetic is my second, well, now we know where the soft spot is, where we need to pray and ask the Lord to raise up another missionary to go with us. And it's yeah. been really informed team formation. Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right, Rob. APEST is as much if not more about others than it is about yourself so we 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 have this sort of 21st century consumerist what did i get how does the church bless me but actually based in christ for the good of community that that's the dynamic we need to come at apes from definitely beautiful Uh, how about you tell us your story uh, other than the holy spirit's you know hovering over my mother um actually in some ways it, it sounds weird but you know there's some things that um that you do have an instinct for, you know, like I, it, uh, you know, with, with me when discovering uh, APEST and getting some definition on it, you realize actually, you know, the, the, these aspects have been part of my life story. And one of the things that uh, in, in writing 
5Q and began to realize actually God has been working on us for a long, long time. So there is a sense where, um, I mean, Paul could say, you know, he was called to be an apostle from before his birth. I mean, that's that's that kind of inst- that deep instinct that must have been part of his self-consciousness. Um, so there is something of that there. And I think like why people resonate and, you know, why Rich and I connected and, you know, on this issue is because it was instinct latent already in God's people. Um, for me, um, coming to clarity on it is that I didn't come to the, to, I came to faith as a convert to Christianity from a Jewish kind of background. So I didn't have a history in the church. And uh, um, whenever I would read Ephesians, which has always been one of my favorite books and still is, um, um, it, it would always seem strange to me that we ended up only with two of the five ministries mentioned in the official, you know, evangelical church or Protestant church or whatever, all the churches, that somehow we've taken out some of the aspects there, which were, you know, as Jesus ascends into heaven, he bequeaths the fivefold gifting on the church. And it seemed to me that something fundamentally dishonest about our exegesis, which I, I do believe it's dishonest and very manipulative. We never treat the Bible like this any other way. Mm. The grammar is pretty sound, you know, that all five are given as a kind of, you know, as a whole package. We don't get to cherry pick that in the ascension, which is very important. You know, so the, the whole, the weight of that, that scripture is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, people say it's only one verse. No, actually, it's, it's all the way through the Bible and certainly through the book of Acts and all in Jesus. And it's a much bigger concept. Anyway, uh, but for me, anyway, I, uh, when I was leading a church in the inner city, uh, we started, you know, and we just operated from within fivefold understanding, but didn't, you know, hadn't anyone to compare. And the interesting thing is, uh, I don't know whether, you know, which was it, where he was at the time, but I remember going to do a tour uh, on behalf of my denomination. And I ended up at St. Thomas Crooks where, you know, that's the richest early community where Mike Breen was at the time. Uh, this was way back in 96 trying to look for models uh, that this worked. And, you know, I saw a church there that was applying fivefold, you know, with, across this, you know, in the whole church. And I thought that was really precipitate for me to keep going on the journey. And it's, you know, for me, as you know, it's led me to, you know, a very curious as to where the fault lines lie in the church, you know, and to say, how do we correct them? Because I think Jesus has designed us for world transformation. One of the things he's given us is atheist, that we might be the people of God that, you know, can mature and can be like Jesus and, you know, and every part connected to the head, you know, it, it's, there's a consistency there. So, um, you know, so, you know, and then set about kind of trying to, to name that. And so it's led to four books on, on topic. Well, two workbooks and two primary books, um, 5Q and the permanent revolution, but it comes up in every other book. I mean, Apest is big for me. And it's uh, it's a powerful idea, uh, both, as, as Richard said, for personal profile as to say what is my impact upon the world and what are my deficiencies and what's my pathway of discipleship to fullness of Christ, but very much for the church. Yeah. All five functions contain everything the church needs to do. I believe it's covered um, in all the five. Apostolic is your missionary functionality, your innovation, or, you know, your, your capacity to pioneer, break new ground. Prophet is keeps you aligned to God and his purposes in the world, prayer, but also, you know, in terms of social justice and, and impact 
the evangelist is the singer of the song, the kind of communicator, uh, the, the recruiter to the cause, the shepherd who creates community and defends it, and the, and the teacher who brings wisdom and understanding and, you know, helps us integrate truth. And, and which ones don't we need? And, and why? And who gave you the right to cherry pick anyway? How do you cherry pick any one of those functions out of the church? Who gives you the right to do that? Mm. And I think the church has got to be held accountable on this. We've been unfaithful in this regard for, for centuries, and we need to correct this. Uh, now's the time. Rich and Alan, um, one of the most inspiring things that you've done on this call for me personally so far is just shared how intimately it shaped you as individuals. Like it's a personal thing. It's changed your life. It's changed how you approach mission. It changed how you promote uh, or you approach community with others as you partner with others to kind of uh, jump into this thing called mission together. So it's deeply, deeply personal for you. Strangely enough, it's almost seen as, Alan, you just, you're just pulling too much out of those verses, man. I mean, we've actually... Uh, had a number of people, you know, we integrate APEST into the products and the coaching processes that we use and disciples made. And there have been people that have uh, chosen to no longer work with us singularly because of our commitment to the APEST stuff, which is interesting. So hyper-personal to you guys, a boundary, you know, that people won't go into. Uh, what are the top, like just, just the two of you quickly, what are the top two or three reasons from uh, Ephesians four that this is a must exegesis? What 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 demonstrative like? And there's a couple of questions actually in the chat asking a similar question. Uh, what is it that we need to see there to know that this really is more of a uh, a personal agenda, a personal motivator uh, than just offices that certain people hold? Well, uh, let me uh, let me give it a shot first, Rich, if you don't mind. Um, for one, it's very, it's you know super intriguing. Um, so one verse, right? The interesting thing about this is that the number of times these words are used in scripture. Now, we have to take scriptural language and the weight of scripture. There's the dog in the background uh, <laughs> saying hello, good morning. Um, Need a new picture. <laughs> uh, you know, it's interesting in, in, in scripture, so like the weight of words and, 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 the, and our, 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 our need to grapple with what words mean is theologos, right? God, theologies, God words, right? They carry meaning, they revelate. That's interesting, you see. So the word apostle uh, comes up um, about 82 times in, in the New Testament. Ask the average Christian what's an apostle. They go, uh, 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 they're uh, in the Bible. Um, which is true, but they're also beyond the Bible because actually it was a secular term that the Bible appropriates and, and, and shapes somewhat. Um, the word prophet is used 144 times in the New Testament. Ask people what a prophet is, and they have no clue uh, generally. What's an evangelist? Used three times, uh, interestingly. We got a better idea of that. Always looks like Billy Graham, right? And that's, you know, really? Uh, is, that, is that it? Um, uh, the word shepherd or pastor, no kidding, Brian, it comes up once as a noun that describes the ministry of believers. Now, all those people who complain about one verse, put that into your pocket and smoke it. Right? <laughs> it comes up once. You make everyone a pastor. 
And every form of leadership in the church is pastor this, pastor that. Where do you get that from? It's used once in this passage, mind you. You cancel this passage out, you cancel out the pastor. There is no other role for it. And you, you just think about the logic in that and about the way the, the word teacher comes up in that form, deduct lawyer about 14 times. Most of them are about false teachers, by the way, which is not cool. And they come in for a caning, uh, you know, and... Um, so that's the one thing I'd like to say. Secondly, what's really important about this text, it's associated with the ascension, which is a commissioning. As Jesus ascends in his hero's journey, he returns to the Father. He takes, he bequeathes the fivefold, which, are, as Rich has already said, they're not just, um, uh, these, these are identities and purposes which he perfectly, most beautifully fulfills in his life. You look at Jesus as apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, he's archetypal. In other words, these are all his ministries which he gives to the body of Christ and that we might be the fullness of Christ, right? You don't get to cherry-pick that either. The other commissioning text um, is the Great Commission, and the Great Commission is the commission into disciple-making mandate. You don't mess with that. You're not allowed to. Well, the other one, of course, is Ephesians 4, as Jesus gives his own purposes and, and functions to the, to the body of Christ. The body is the receptacle of his gifting in the foundation of the church. Again, you don't get to mess with that. This is, and it's written through, all, you know, the book, just look at the book of Acts. Remember, pastors used once. <laughs> so, yeah, that has to be corrected again. Awesome. Thank you, Alan. Rich, what would you add there? Yeah, this, I mean, there's not much to add in, in terms of the key, the, the core answer, but I think probably just stepping back slightly from the question, Brian, I think just f even framing Ephesians 4, 1 to 16 is helpful. So 1 to 6, that foundation of unity. Um, honestly, I often say if, if Christians lived the first six verses of Ephesians 4, pretty much everything else would sort itself out. We'd be fine. Like, like pretty much everything else is just noise. We'd be fine. That foundation that Paul lays of unity before he then talks of the diversity. So Jesus gifts, God builds difference into the system. We're, we're wired. We each have these distinct intelligences of Christ, the faces, the facets of Christ within us. We are different, but we're united first before we're diverse and we're different. And then you go through and you arc through 12 to, to 16, this beautiful picture of maturity, the fullness of Christ, the growing up into the, the likeness and the reflection of the head and the body being mature, playing its part intertwined. So I think you look at the, the particular verse, but actually kind of zoning out again, unity, diversity, maturity, I think is significant. And nestled in the middle is this, this point and the translation more than just to equip God's people for works of service, the, the word can also be translated as, as align, perfect, heal, so that there are different ways you could read the scripture to say actually Apist is given to align God's people or perfect God's people or heal God's people. So there's actually, ironically, a fivefold expression or translation of catechismo that actually we go for equip, which feels sort of teacher function and task and actually it's a it's a far more beautiful poetic translation and a deep and broad translation if we think of it so i, I think we often say alan and i that that it, it took two attractional churches willow creek and saddleback to capture the imagination of the the north american church to 
attractional church. And I think there's just the shepherd teacher frame has just narrowed the imagination. So as Alan says, what what what's an apostle? Or who's an apostle? What's a prophet? Who's a, what's the prophetic? And and again, finally, the piece I would say is that we have to look at Jesus. So if we come at APES looking at an individual, a, a competency, a, a charism of somebody else, the charisma of a leader, if we look at our best or worst models, we will get ourselves into trouble. So APES isn't isn't a title, isn't a box, isn't an excuse. It isn't something that I am for my ministry. It's actually a reflection of Christ. And so when we think of the apostolic, hmm. it, it we don't want to think of the caricature or the unhealthy dynamics of individuals, humans. What we're looking at is Jesus expressing the apostolic. Can we see Jesus in the apostolic and the apostolic in Jesus? Yes, we can. Can we see Jesus in the prophetic, the prophetic in Jesus? Yes, we can. So whenever I'm having this, this conversation with people, I point people back to the living words and the written word and say, let's look at scripture. Let's look at the example of Jesus. And how, how does that help inform this conversation? Just so if I may add something, Brian, just, just very quickly this time, but I think it's really important is that we, we really want to be strong about this. It's never just one fold or two fold or three fold. It has to be at least five fold. Um, and it, it, there's something elegant, beautiful about the balance and the, the counterpoint that each place to the other in the body, the systems in the body, that your body has got 10 different systems operating. You need each other. And there's something beautiful about the whole. And it's elegant. It's five. It's not complicated. There's, but there's beautiful nuances. They begin to play themselves out in individuals with their own calling and their own characters. And, and um, yeah, but, but we, we always go wrong. And both individually, if we only make it one. If one's more important than the other. So you get like movements in, in, in the church and, prophetic movements, right? But they always go, they become precocious. They overdevelop in a certain area, but they underdevelop in the others. And they always end up immature and damaged people. All five are necessary. And so we're not arguing against shepherds. We're saying shepherds are part of a fivefold order and they're not officers. It's a bad word. Where the hell did that word come from? Uh, and who, you know, officers. I mean, it gives it, again, you talk about, Rob, you talk about hierarchy, those notions of officers. Where do we get that word from? Uh, it's not an office, it's a function. And we get to do it, to, to be involved with what Jesus is doing in and through his people. And fivefold is the means by which we do that. Very, very helpful. And Rob's got a really important question coming up, but I wanted to toss uh, something in uh, before he gets to that question. And that is... Um, <clears throat> I was, I had learned about APEST, but I wasn't sold until Rob uh, came and we had a few conversations, you know, over a, a wonderful uh, beverage, maybe coffee, maybe not, uh, just to kind of help walk me through this because I was trained in big exegesis yeah. stuff, you, you know, and, uh, but Rich, it was actually you when you jumped in on a kind of a pre-conference webinar down at Exponential sharing some of the more personal stuff where I, I got it. Like it just clicked into a, this has got to be a, this is a part of my message. It's a part of my story. And so the combination of the two of you is so helpful, but here's the point I wanted to make with that. Since that moment in leveraging that tool to help people in a group setting uh, level up their disciple making journey, 
it has become one of the richest means of helping people uh, unlock a passion that they didn't know that they had, like spiritual gifts and, and an area of passion, like the people group they want to serve or the causes that they want to make a difference in. Those are all big, but when they kind of recognize a primary voice and a secondary voice, mm-hmm. it's like you just gave them a different gear to go into as far as enthusiasm and passion for the work. So my little two cents is you got to do a lot of weird exegetical work to say this isn't tenable. And then <laughs> try it. And your theopraxy will absolutely blow through whatever hesitancy That's you may true. have had before. Absolutely. So well there's said. my comment. Rob, I hand it over. Sure. Yeah. One, one last thought on that. Um, the other thing is remembering the context for the book that this passage is in. You, Ephesians is unique in that it's, it's universal. Unlike other letters Paul's writing do very highly contextualized there's a, a specific letter to a specific church about a specific set of problems because there's some specifically jacked up stuff going on that paul's got to address but ephesians is universal in its address and its application it transcends merely local concerns and in fact the earliest manuscripts don't even have in ephesus in it and basically this is paul who's if you were to ask him, what did Jesus have in mind when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it? This is Paul's answer. It's constitutional. It's, it's, a, it's a different category. And so Ephesians 4 isn't Paul just riffing on a, on a problem. He's trying to pull back the veil and say, here's the architecture. This is, what, this is the genius of the mind of Jesus. And, and this is the leadership matrix. This is the this is my design, you know, and Alan, your analogy of it being like different systems in the body, like you have a respiratory system and a circulatory system, like these are the five systems. And, and, you know, if you have one system down in your body, you're going to be sick. If you have two down, you're going to the hospital. If you have three down, you're probably on life support. And yet most churches are trying to operate on one or two of the five systems God has given them. No wonder the church is so sick. No wonder we're not having the impact we could. And like Brian said, just try it and see what it doesn't unlock. And that's what I want to get into next with you two. Um, So if if someone today is listening and asking, like, where do we start? You know, what would you recommend as kind of phase one of actually activating APEST and unleashing all that Jesus has in mind for us through the fivefold, what would you say? Just do a little coaching call. Well, well let's cue uh, Rich. Rich, you're up, man. Yeah, I, um, I, there's a there's a couple of ways, a couple of ways, Rob, that I I would encourage people to do it. The, the first is that it has to be personal. So this isn't the first step. Isn't get everyone else to read the book or preach it from the stage or tell everyone that you're going. So Jesus very rarely is sort of proclaiming what is going to happen. He's often explaining what has just happened to his disciples. So it's not, we're going to do this. It's, you know, what you've just experienced. This is actually what I was doing and what questions do you have in that process? So it's got to be personal. So one place to start is yourself in terms of formation, discipleship, expression. So 
you need to read, you need to understand yourself and go on your process in terms of maturity. So make it personal. Um, the second is a, a group of people. So it's not start with the crowd, it's start with a few. So it's gathering a few people to talk it through, but also to work it out. So there's got to be that growth in awareness. We're going to read, we're going to talk, we're going to think, we're going to discuss, but there has to be a growth in application. It has to be hear and obey. So we are going to live into, act out and take hold of it. And then the third thing, so if it's personal and then it's with people, there's got to be a place. It has to be grounded somewhere. So that might be um, a missional context. It might be a leadership context. It might be a community context. So you might say, we're going to pick our missional context and we're going to put, put our missional context in the middle and we're going to think of, draw around A, P, E, S, and T. And just think, what? Well, how does the apostle express good news, communicate good news, embed good news in this missional context? How does the prophet speak, live, demonstrate and proclaim good news? What, what does the prophet say? Evangelist. So you, you have that place to start to go, actually, we need to embrace and, and release the apostolic to start to, to spark new things in our missional context. The prophet, what's God saying? Who's the forgotten? The evangelist, what's good news to this community? What's bad news to this community? Shepherding, how do we love people into the kingdom? Teaching, what do they need to hear as truth? contextualized, integrated into everyday life. So you could pick a, a place, so a missional context. You could pick a, a leadership context to say, how do we train and equip our small group leaders, microchurch leaders, whatever it be. So I definitely wouldn't go proclamation and crowd. I would go personal journey. I would go a combination of some key influencers, key people who want to pioneer and go first in your community. So there's there's some living testimony and embodiment of the, the concepts. So the concepts become concrete. And then pick a place to, to try it out and prototype it. Because experience, to Brian's comment, experience is key here. It's it's taking that sort of concept and starting to, to live into it. So there's way more we could talk of down the line, but they would probably be three key things because dropping it in, APEST is another way of looking at it is like a pair of glasses. It's a lens that you can see. So, so when we think of how do people respond to COVID, one of the ways they respond to COVID is through their primary and secondary APEST. So the apostles are going, this is disrupting the church. It's an opportunity, but I can't say that too loud because people are dying and it could do this and we could try this and innovate. The prophets are, what's God saying? What God, what's God doing? How do we embrace refining and repentance? And how do we make sure we remember the poor? And the evangelists are going, there's urgency, there's opportunity. People are spiritually open. Let's go share our faith. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. The shepherds are saying, there's, there's mental health, there's physical health, there's, relation, there's struggle and stress and pain. How do we love this community right now, our city right now, our neighbourhood right now? How are we a peacemaking presence, a non-anxious presence? And the teachers are working out what does God's word say in this place of disruption, in this place of change, in this place of challenge? What's God's word in a global pandemic, his truth that transcends culture and moments? So even in our response to covid even in our local everyday missionary life, APEST is one of the dynamics. It's the way that we sort of lean into the world. So where does it start? The, the truth is it's already started in your context. You need to catch up with it rather than kickstart it. So it's looking for where it's at work, personal, people, and a place would be three of the places I'd, I'd start. Super helpful. Uh, let me give an example of what that looks like embodied, and then I'm going to pass it to Alan. So... Uh, in the underground, 
Uh, everybody knows their APES profile. Um, every missional team, by the way, someone asked earlier, what do you mean by missionaries? Are you talking about cross-cultural missionaries in the Kansas City underground? We're here in Kansas City. And a missionary is an ordinary person who plants themselves among an unreached pocket of people so they can plant the gospel and make new disciples. That's what a missionary is. And it's an identity because our God's a missionary God. And so we're a missionary people. So I'm sorry for the confusion. Um, it's just ordinary folks, butchers, bakers, candlestick makers, and they know they're sent. Um, but the ops team or operations team, this is something we've begun to practice. And this is a model we would offer to every team in the underground. So everybody knows their thumbprint with APEST. And we picked up, we picked this up from Giant. Uh, we practice voice order. So every single week when our team meets and we're addressing problems, um, usually apostles and evangelists go first because they have all the ideas and all the energy and they take up all the oxygen in the room, right? And then um, the prophets sometimes, let's just be honest, they're more artistic and weird, so they don't quite know how to explain what they're seeing or feeling. <laughs> and sometimes it can come off as very combative because they're, you know, calling us for total fidelity to Jesus, you know? And then the shepherds tend to be more quiet, right? And then the teachers, they end up asking just a lot of questions because they're trying to figure out how to explain and organize. And if these aren't done in the proper order, it can feel like a lot of combat. So what we picked up from Giant was, okay, when we have a problem, you start with the quietest voice. So you start with the shepherd. And so Bree is the strongest shepherd on our team. She always goes first. The apostle goes last. So I go last in every single conversation, which sometimes you're like. <laughs> oh, Rob, I have no idea what you're talking about. Right. <laughs> what do you mean? Right. So you start with the shepherds and then you go to the uh, we typically go to the teacher, then the prophet, then the evangelist and then the apostle. And that has unlocked the genius of Jesus in our decision making in a way that is absolutely miraculous to me. Like we've had, um, you know, I'm, I'm just thankful for God's favor. Like we have, we've had a thousand percent increase in microchurches in two years. You know, we've launched one hub and a hub is an apostolic team that trains missionaries and microchurches in a part of the city. We have a second hub that's launched, a third one that's about to launch and two more in the queue in this year. You know, we, We've had discovery Bible studies emerging virtually every single week, baptisms, all this stuff right up through COVID. And I, one of the things I would track it back to is actually the practice of APEST in actually very practical way to make decisions, to hear the voice of God, and then letting that become present as much as possible in every cell of the underground. So just, I would say to a leader here, Hey, just start with your current team, assess them, figure out who has primary in each one of those five voices. Try voice order. Try that. I dare you. I triple dog dare you. Try that for like a month and see if the quality of your decisions and the insight and the wisdom and the collective intelligence goes. Because you're probably inadvertently quieting 60% of what you need to hear. So that's an, that's kind of an embodiment, I think, of what you're you're saying. It's been very powerful. Alan, what else would you recommend? Like getting started, where where do you begin? 
Well, I mean, that's, that's been very, very good advice. It's hard to see where you might want to add to it. I would simply say, <clears throat> um, 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 don't do what you think you should do straight away. Most churches would say, well, let's do a sermon series. And I think that would be a huge mistake. One, because you get in, how many, you know, do six weeks on Ephesians 4 and, you know, then you're onto something else and everyone forgets it. I mean, no kidding. Um, so you would inoculate the, the people against the idea. That would be the worst place to start. So I would say in, a, in established communities of faith, I would start with my group of leaders and I would get them taking time, getting to grips with the language and what the language refers to. If we, we use the word apostle, we know what we're talking about here. Because if we don't do this role, what happens is all the caricatures out there about what an apostle is and what they're not and people's fears will come into play. Um, and, and so we have to get clarity. And this is a theological process. Theo, remember, theologos is getting to grips with the words and what they mean and how they impact us. What's God saying to us here? I would spend my time, a lot of time on that, until there's clarity on your core team, and I mean your main team plus, you know, your extended team. Until your clarity there, I would not take it to the community. Having said that, Rich is right. It's already in the community because, you know, it's, Jesus has built it into the church, in the foundation of the church. And the grammar is sure about that, by the way. It's, it's an aorist. It's given. But um, um, so, so you can then call it out. Um, but I would start with my leaders. The other thing, just to affirm, I think, you know, and there's many tools we've got actually in 5Q, um, tons of tools about processing, you know, suggested ways. You've su suggested one of the voices. Um, one of the other things is to have a good process uh, for creative conflict. We talk about fit, split, uh, contend, transcend. So fit is the factors that bring you together and hold you together. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all is a lot, you know, overall and through all, you know. Hold on to that. Love each other, all that stuff. Split is that, yes, but we're different. And I recognize your difference, and that's important to me because diversity is really important. I need to hear from you. So go for it. Put your hat on. Content, if you have to, have a good, vigorous conversation, but not without the idea of transcending it. So you come to the mind of Christ through this process. It is a much better idea to have that kind of process. You come at the end of it. You come through with a much richer uh, approach to any problems that you be, be you're trying to resolve. So that would be the other thing. The only other thing I would mention, tinted at already, these are already in your people. Um, I believe they were there as part of their calling. It's vocation. Um, so when uh, don't think of it as a leadership first and foremost. It's only secondarily leadership. It's ministry first, and everyone is given a ministry. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. He gave apis. In other words, you have to assume that that everyone is a recipient of, of something of the apis functions in the church. And, you know, so there are some people who are just good at bringing others to faith. They might not be the evangelists, but they're good at that, and they have an impulse for it. There's some people who like to take risks and try new things, and they love that. You can't stop them. They're naturally apostolic. The pre people are naturally artistic or, you know, poetic and can sense the meaning of things and they're, they're natural prophets. These are out there in your church and actually they're out there beyond in society. What you can do is then assume that you need to create leadership pipelines which kind of develop people along these lines. And, and that's, I think, really an important aspect of discipleship and leadership formation. 
you can create pathways for baby apostles to become more mature. And you'd be very wise to have a pathway because otherwise you get the immature versions. Immature versions of prophets are very dangerous people. They'll split the room, right? They need maturity and they need to be held accountable to that. No, but they're important. Uh, get your shepherds t- teaching, how, you know, teach your shepherds how to shepherd properly. So all I have to say is that, you know, I would start with the leaders, build it out from there. Hey, guys, awesome. I'm going to grab a uh, question from the chat. Um, and I'll, I'll kick off on this one. You guys can add to it. And this will be the last one. One question was, I lost track of it. There it is. Can you explain how this fivefold apest expression is integrated or interacts within a DMM context? So they're talking about disciple making movements. And uh, I'll just say the Kansas City Underground, we fully adopted the DMM kind of ideology and practice. So for us, the way we integrate APEST is actually at every level. So when we're training ordinary people to be missionary disciple makers, part of that is the APEST assessment. And then when they're building, either finding their missionary partner or building their team, we have them all do their APEST assessment so they know where they're strong and where they might have a soft spot. Um, and those are the people that are planting the gospel through things like DBS. So when a microchurch emerges, the APEST awareness is, is baked in from the very beginning of the microchurch. Yeah. And then we make all the tools available. Like, hey, here's the free assessment. Hey, here are all the training modules, you know. And, and then for us, we have these hubs, which are apostolic equipping teams. And, um, and they're basically equipping that movement of missionaries or microchurches in that part of the, the city. They could be called trainers or catalysts. We intentionally build APES into all those equipping teams. So it's basically at the smallest level at, in every level on out as we're reproducing. Uh, Alan Rich, anything you guys would want to add to that? Only thing I would add, Rob, is just to affirm what you're saying, that, it, that it, it is nestled within or framing over every every layer. Um, so we're working with a larger church in their, in their small group, their, their home group structure, and using APAS as a framework for a healthy small group, a, a house group. So whether it's small group, missional community, microchurch, this frame is about the health and maturity of Christ within whatever size, whatever unit, whatever ethos. So I, I think it's less about the context. It's far more about the maturity of Christ within whatever context it is. The only thing I would add to that uh, is that remember that disciple making is modeled on Jesus. Amen. Uh, in other words, it has no other mandate other than to be transformed into the likeness of Christ, to imitate him. And uh, so I would say that, um, you know, uh, APEST is a good way of getting to who Jesus is in, in us, particularly because all five are nested in each one of us, right? We'll have a strong point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rob, your primary apostolic, your last one is? Uh, my second is, weakest. sorry, my dog just came in the door. <laughs> Prophetic is my second. And No, your, your, your weakest one. Oh, my weakest has been Shepherd. Right. And can you do it that? Yes, I've had two of my closest friends, one of them is on this call, are very gifted shepherds, and they have mediated that to me. I'm a way better shepherd now than I was when I moved to Kansas City. You can do it, though. That's the point, right? It's not like it's that. Yeah, so in other words, you have all five in you. 
But so to become Christ-like is to cultivate all five into yourself. It's not just becoming one. You're not just become mega. You can't just juice up your your apostle and expect to be immature. You can't. You have to become more like Jesus, who's all the five. So it, it creates a fantastic model for disciple making uh, by integrating, you know, our shadows and, if you will, our, our weaker points, but not only just emphasizing our strengths. And remember, this is calling, vocation. Strive for the callings you have received. And so this is striving for your calling. Discipleship. Well, well, gentlemen, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, in the chat room, there's a link to 5Q Central, where there is a wealth of resources. We encourage you to go there. Um, from the disciples' main point of view. You can do the profile test there too. You know, okay, so there is an assessment they can take. Anything else that you guys encourage them to start with? I would start with this. Yeah, I would start with the assessment personally, and then the module is designed for a small group or a leadership team. But you're using it, Rob, uh, at the underground to journey with the content communally. So they they would be the two. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Um, with Disciples Made, uh, we also celebrate that APEST is woven into our GPS assessment. So our assessment is about gifts, passion, story, and APEST fits under the passion category. Um, and then also we've created a 10-month um, development process in an intentional disciple-making environment called Leaders Made. Because again, APEST is about how do we actually flatten the structure and develop the maximum influence of everybody to become an equipper. And that's what Leaders Made is about, helping people discover their APEST voice, learning how to become a servant leader who knows how to equip others. So Brian's going to drop a link uh, if you, if any of you want to come over after this for a conversation about those resources, we'd love to talk to you about it. Um, Brian, anything else you'd want to add, brother? No, just just to be able to pursue and follow up on this conversation, in particular how GPS and leaders make and help people start to do that activation locally. Um, just even, um, yeah, yeah, no, no more to say about that. These guys have been extremely helpful. Well, hey, uh, two quick things in closing. Uh, coming up this week is the Future of the Church Summit, and that will be 1 to 5 Eastern Time on Thursday, March the 4th, and you can get a plan to equip you and your team for the future of the church. I encourage you to jump in and be a part of that. The Kansas City Underground, we're going to be a part of that conversation this Thursday. The other thing I want to note is that Alan's dog and my dog both interrupted this webinar. So, Brian and Rich, sorry your pets didn't show up for yeah. the party. Door closed. <laughs> Not coming in. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, this was so rich and so meaningful, and we honor your contribution to the body of Christ and are extraordinarily grateful. And thanks for making time today. And uh, hey, just everybody, reminder, we'll be back two weeks. From this time, we're going to be having a conversation with Myron Pierce, who's leading a movement of missionaries and microchurches in the inner city of Omaha. They call them hope dealers and villages. We're going to talk about how do you activate in a very tactical way missionaries? How do you train ordinary people to be on mission where they live, work, learn, and play? It's going to be a hoot. So please come back and join us. And Rich and Alan, thank you for being here. Thank you, guys. And uh, hey, jump over on that Zoom room if you want to meet with Brian Phipps. Grace and peace.